this time I invite you to take your Bible if you have it. If not, the words are going to be on your screen. You can also listen as the Word of God is proclaimed to 1 Corinthians 9, the 16th, the, the 9th chapter, verses 16 through 23. 1 Corinthians 9, 16 through 23. And the Word of God says this, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might have saved some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Before I had children, I didn't realize what fun they can be. You can, you can play jokes on children. I don't know if you are aware of that. It may be considered mean. You may want to call DHS after the service. I, I don't care. They're mine. I can, I'm going to do with them what I want. And I can test things out on my children. But one of the things that I happen to stumble across, every once in a while they do something cute. You ever notice that about children? When they get older, they stop being cute. But when they're little, they're, they're still cute. And uh, we were at a restaurant, and while we were sitting there eating, I, I forget why, but they brought us a little thing of lemons. I guess they thought somebody wanted that in their water or their sweet tea. And Asher was of the age where he noticed what stuff was, but he hadn't quite grasped what, what things are. If that makes, I don't know if that makes any sense or not. But he saw that, and he recognized in his mind that is fruit. Right? That's fruit. And he started to reach for it and grunt for it in that caveman fashion. Uh, 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 fruit, fruit, fruit. And usually if you were a good, decent parent, right? You tell them that's not like an orange. Or that's not like an apple. Or that's not like a banana. But in my mind, I thought, good, yeah. Give, let's have, here's some lemons. Have some lemons. So he grabbed it with both hands. He took the lemon, looked at me with the biggest smile on his face, like he was fixing to take this, this, this mango or this passion fruit, this orange, this bright yellow, beautiful, delicious looking thing. He took it and took a big bite out of it. To which his big, he's got big cheeks. I don't know if you've seen him. He's got these big cheeks. They sucked in into this con, concave Look, and he looked at an old man sitting there, and he, he just threw it back down. 
and he said, that is awful. And then he grabbed it again and put it to his mouth again, just to try it again. As I watched him do that, I saw there was a disconnect between what his mind thought it should be and what it actually was. As I read 1 Corinthians today, I think about this. Paul keeps talking about good news. The disciples of God are always supposed to be purveyors of good news. The church is supposed to be an instrument to strengthen the ministry and the message of good news. It's an effort that intensifies with Jesus' death, resurrection, and the creation and birth of the church in Acts. We are a good news people. We're an instrument by which the disciples of God encapsulate and proclaim the gospel. But if we are conveyors of good news, why is it that our news often comes across as bad? What is it about us that causes the message of God not to be receptive to the world around us? How have we looked at the world and told them we have good news and when they take it, their face puckers? And they find this disconnect between what should be grace and good news and now all of a sudden it's bad. Where are we not communicating the gospel and why are we not communicating the gospel how is it that we have skewed the good news to be something sour? Uh, as I was looking through Facebook this week, one of my preacher friends who serves in Madison said this, as I scroll through Facebook, it sometimes seems we Christians can be annoyed and bothered by so many things. Politics, the culture we live in, technology. Gosh, we can seem, and here's the line I want you to hear because he's right on. Gosh, we can seem to be the most unhappy, upset people. Why is that? And where do we go wrong? I think we go wrong in several ways. We mess it up in so many ways. We deviate from Paul's pronouncement in 1 Corinthians about how we should do this sharing of the gospel. Where is it that we go wrong and how is it that we can get it back on track so that people hear good news and know it's good? I think to begin with, our message becomes bad news for those around us when we become overly fixated and immobilized by judgment. When we think of ourselves as the judge, jury, and executioner, where we're the ones that are going to fix everybody else. And when we try to fix everybody else, we come across as sour because it alleviates and demonstrates that we're not concerned with what the gospel said, which is fix yourself first. I've told you this before, but every once in a while a couple will come to me for marital counseling. And they come in there, and I look at this couple that used to be in love, and probably still is, but they're annoyed by each other to a great extent. Uh, marriage can, can do that. Uh, you, can, you, can, you know, the things you love turn into the things that drive you crazy. And they'll sit there and they'll fuss and they'll fuss. But what, what I notice over and over and over again is the person talking, it can be either one, because the same thing happens. The person talking will keep saying they, 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 and finally I'll stop them because I don't have all day. I'll stop them. And I'll say to them, you've spent years getting to this point. And I'll say, all I've heard you say is they. What can you do to help the message and help the marriage? 
What can you do? And they always say the same thing. I didn't come here for you to fix me. I came here for you to fix them. Every single time. And I look at them and I say the same thing. You can't fix them. You got to fix you. The only, here's the thing, friends. The only person you can have control over is who? You. So when we go out of these doors proclaiming the good news and we tell the world how they can be fixed, and they look at us and they say, you, you've never fixed yourself. It hurts our witness. You know what the world wants to see? They want to see authentic people being real, admitting that they're broken, and saying, I'm trying to get better. Why don't you get better with me? Our good news turns bad when we worry more about the other and their brokenness than we do our brokenness. God says we've got to fix ourselves. The church's news became bad when we started worrying about changing everybody else and stopped worrying about changing ourselves. Everybody, the Methodist church gets a bad rap sometimes. I've found. But the thing I love the most about the Methodist church is, you know what I love about it? It started as a holiness movement. I love holiness. That's why I'm in the Methodist church. People say it's because your mama took you to a Methodist church growing up. Uh-uh. I'd have picked a different one if I'd have wanted a different one. I love it because it focuses and it was founded on holiness. And holiness says that, God, I'm broken, but I'm going to try to get better. And if you'll help me, we'll get there together. And where you and I gather together, we can fix each other, but we've got to work together. Friends, the Methodists can have a good news for a world that needs it if we'll just go back to our roots and say, you're broken, I'm broken, I'm going to work on myself, you work on you, we'll work on it together and we'll get there. It's good news when we don't make it all about the other and we start looking at ourselves and saying, how can we be fixed? Our message also becomes bad when we become completely about exclusion. We read scripture verse about wheat and chaff, wheat and separating the, the, the sheep from the wolves. And the church somehow in its mind decided that we were the ones that were supposed to do the separating. You know what I find in Scripture over and over? God says, I'll do the separating. You just bring everybody together. That means you may be on a pew with somebody you can't stand. Look to your left. Look to your... No, I'm kidding. You, you, may, have, <laughs> you may look around the sanctuary and go, I, I don't know about that person. That's fine. You know what God said? Everybody's welcome in the church. You don't have to agree. You can have strong disagreements. God's going to do the separating. There will be a judgment. God's going to do it. We don't have to. All God said is get everybody in the same house and let's talk about Jesus together. Stop worrying about exclusion. Your job is to not, my job is to not call the herd. Our job is to gather the herd. To spread the message wide. But we become irrelevant to the world around us and they tune us out when we get fixated on this pie in the sky, by and by theology. In other words, the world tunes us out because the world's got problems and we're talking about sometime in the future. When we as a Christian body become overly fixated on heaven and overly fixated on eternity and we forget that God called us to bring His kingdom at hand now, we have a problem. The world wants to see that we care about them now. When I first started in ministry, I didn't make any money. I can assure you I worked because I love Jesus because they paid me $16,800 full time. 
And you say, well, that's a lot back then. Back then it was like 2002, so settle down, okay? <laughs> it wasn't a lot. It wasn't a lot. 16800 and I had to pay $400 a month rent out of that. So when it, when it all netted out, the government, let's, let's put it this way, I, I filed my taxes in the lowest tax bracket. The government sent me a letter and said, you paid too much. You're in this other class that I didn't even know existed. And they sent me extra money back. That's how, uh, on the poverty. So I, I rented this house that was not up to parsonage standards. You know, it was bad. The previous tenants had brought their engine from their car into the living room and just set it down on the carpet. Nothing down, just oil. It had no heat or cooling, so to speak, and the roaches outnumbered me four million to one. <laughs> when I moved, I wouldn't move in boxes. I just put it in my car, made sure there weren't any roaches on it, and, and, and took the thing one at a time. The, the guy that, that rented it to me was a Methodist pastor who didn't mind being a slumlord, right? And, and I'd see him out in the yard every now and again, and we'd talk, and he would tell me about his big plans for the house I was living in. He kept saying it over and over, one day I'm going to fix that, and one day I'm going to fix that, and one day I'm going to make sure this is right, and it's going to be a nice place to live. And the more he talked, the madder I got. You know why? Because I was living in it now, and I didn't care about someday. This world, can we agree that this world is broken? That there's poverty and hardship, there's isolation, there's alienation, there's, there's, there's wrong thinking, there's all this different stuff going out, uh, out in this broken world. And we as Christians go out in the world, and what are we talk about? In the sweet by and by, one glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. I love that stuff, but the world looks at us and says, enough about the by and by. How can you and Jesus make life better now, church? And if we would worry about the future and the now, what kind of good news could people hear? If you're starving and you get some bread from a church and then you hear about eternity, it makes it taste that much sweeter. The implication and the implementation of the good news of God's kingdom should never be a past or future tense verb. It should always be a present tense. The kingdom of God is what? At hand. For God has sent me to proclaim good news to the captive, to unbind the bound up. God wants us to do it now. I think ultimately the reason good news got so bad is because we got more worried about being right than we did about saving souls. And when we've got to be right, we want to make our circle smaller, not bigger. You can be right and you can lose the kingdom, friends. As I tell you all the time, when you walk through the pearly gates, God's not going to say, well done, good and faithful arguer. He's just not. He'll tell you, well done, good and faithful servants. You have laid down your life for your brother. You have given of yourself. So what does Paul say? How do you make good news good again? You realize that it's not about you. And that if it's not a kingdom issue, 
If it's not the resurrection of our Lord, if it's not uh, the, the beauty of baptism, if it's not the holiness of the table, if it's not about that, and it's just something periphery, if it's about your pet peeve, Paul says, take your pet peeve and throw it out the window. You've got to be willing to lay down your preferences in order to share the gospel. Uplift the gospel. The gospel's on the pedestal, not us. We've got to lower ourselves. And we got to pay attention. It's not about you or me. It's not about the type of music we do. It's not about the type of meals we have. It's not about the way we dress. It's not about that. Be who you need to be to win souls for the king. My friend Andy, who wrote that Facebook post earlier, Emily and I make fun of him all the time. Because Andy moves like we, we've moved. And usually he moves the year before we do, and so I'll make fun of Andy mercilessly because he got appointed one time to Coy United Methodist Church. Now, Coy is on the Neshoba and Kemper County line. It's out in a farming country. They do a lot of poultry farming, which is something I can relate to. And when Andy got appointed there from the Mississippi Delta, Andy bought him a pickup truck and bought some cowboy boots and blue jeans. And I laughed at him because I told him, Andy, I ain't never seen you in cowboy boots or blue jeans before. Then he got reappointed to, to Ripley Methodist. And he got himself a tie and a sport coat and some dress shoes. And he, bought, he traded his truck in for a nice-looking family car. And I laughed at him. I said, what are you doing? Then he got sent to St. Matthew's on the reservoir and he got him a sweater vest. <laughs> And a long sleeve shirt, and he got him a little compact, little wind up car. <laughs> and I asked him, I said, Andy, if they send you somewhere weird next, I may never see you again. I don't know what you're going to look like. And me and Emily made fun. We said, Wherever you go, that's what you are. And he, he would come back at me and he'd say, If it helps me reach my people, I'll be whatever I need to be for the gospel. And I still shame him for it. But that's neither here nor there. Because he's right. If it's not a kingdom issue, give it up. Give it up. Allow God to move through you. What's the most important thing? We have good news. What's the good news? God loves us and He created us. And we messed it up. And instead of casting us out, He sent His Son to die for us that we might have life. And He invites us into a community of people that were just as broken and now just as redeemed. So that we might serve the chief end of mankind, which is to love God and glorify Him forever. That is good news that the world needs. If the church can get out of its own way and stop being the lemon that we often are. What are you willing to sacrifice to share the gospel? And do you have a passion in your heart to make it real for others. If you would, turn with me to page 13 in your hymnal. One of the great things is Jesus reminded us at the last days that He had been with them and yet they were still going to betray Him and break Him. But He would go willingly and be broken for our redemption. It was His Example of how sacrificially we ought to love one another. He gave us the table that we might share with it together to be reminded that if we would but lift Him up, 
he will draw to himself. So as we lift up the bread and we lift up the cup and we, we take Jesus into ourselves today, know that he gives you the power and the strength to be what you need to be to share his message.